Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, which runs every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend all herbs, supplements, nutritional counselling, etc. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's subject of exploring alternatives. If you're listening and you want to call in after 7.30 or even before, uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, which is 1-800-568-3723, and we'll give those numbers out during the show. Okay, so um, once again, just want to uh, introduce people to our main guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Pete. Um, are you there, Dr. Pete? Yes. Okay, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, as always, and as hopefully, the new listeners to the show, I know there's lots of other people who listen to the shows repeatedly and or who listen to the uh, podcast, but for those people... Uh, who perhaps have never heard your voice or read any of your work, uh, would you just outline your academic and professional background for those people so that uh, they can get a good sense of who you are? Um, I, I um, got a master's degree in uh, general studies with, with um, work in literature and philosophy and other things uh, from the University of Oregon. Then um, about eight years later, I uh, went back to uh, specialize in biology, uh, especially physiology of aging and reproduction uh, for a PhD in uh, 1972. Okay. All right, well, let's start the show then. Um, so in, res- in your recent newsletter, uh, which was entitled Comments on Cancer Therapy, uh, you coined the phrase, I think it maybe it was you, I've not heard it before, but you coined the phrase trust, trust annoyer in response to your definition of paranoia. Uh, that being the belief that powerful forces are trying to harm you. In the former, trust annoyer is the irrational belief that those in power are working for your benefit. So in trust annoyer, then, a carefully sculpted directive and narrative has been foisted on us in the form of powerful entities, often protected from prosecution, as in the case of vaccine makers, for example, who tell us they have the answer and only they can help us, so just like the governments generally do with the usual results being inefficiency and, and waste. But the medical industry in particularly, uh, their failed war on cancer, along with all the other wars, has yielded few results at the cost of countless suffering and death. And you outlined a uh, chronology culminating in the infamous Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundations, which uh, a lot of people listening, perhaps the alternative populations have certainly heard about, especially with the Rockefellers and their uh, central banking. Um, so this was at the beginning of the 20th century, then this was pivotal in the establishment of these powerful institutions of the false religion of the mechanistic biology as opposed to holistic and relevant uh, research which you constantly bring out uh, which has only just emerged in publications and theories from eminent scientists of whom you've previously mentioned from Gilbert Ling to Gerald Pollack and the others and the uh, uh, other scientists like Mei Wan Ho and uh, the others that um, Brad and Jeremy have been busy interviewing in their uh, coming expose on the back of the tiger, which we're all waiting for. Can you discuss the uh, shift in perception that's occurring uh, away from the dogma, 
which has been up, upheld for so long? Um, uh, yeah, uh, first I want to mention that the, the, the word trustanoia was, <laughs> uh, I think, coined by Laura Nader, okay. an anthropologist. Uh, but uh, uh, the um, shift of perception, uh, I, I think it's, it's uh, only partial. Uh, the, the, uh, in biology, there's a lot of good science that's picking up or continuing uh, from the, the uh, ideas that were suppressed around the, the Second World War, uh, when the, uh, the, those institutions, um, including uh, the medical establishment, which fused itself with, with state power and the foundations, um, the, the science that was being developed uh, by the government for warfare uh, was shifted over to uh, take advantage of uh, these mechanical, mechanistic ideas that uh, medicine had developed. Um, so the government and uh, the medical establishment uh, really began powerfully uh, working together uh, right after the Second World War with a lot of money uh, flowing from the government to medical research, which was... Uh, Sometimes you couldn't distinguish it from uh, biological warfare research. Some of the same people uh, went right from one field to the other. For example, Carlton Gaidasek, uh, who got the Nobel Prize for uh, slow virus research, uh, he was working in biological warfare. And uh, I've outlined uh, some of my suspicions about how he came to invent that idea of the slow virus. Um, I suspect it was a cover-up for the effects of radiation on uh, the brain and other organisms rather than this hypothetical virus that Gaidasek uh, invented. Um, but the, uh, the, the dogma has uh, essentially denied all of the traditional ideas of biology and the nature of life to impose uh, the idea that uh, things are predefined uh, from uh, Gregor Mendel in the 19th century. Uh, the idea of the gene was uh, gradually used to deny that um, <laughs> Plant breeders and animal breeders were really changing uh, the plants. Uh, if, if they uh, seemed to be producing um, big animals from little animals or uh, big plums from uh, little plums, uh, the, um, the most radical changes they were producing, rather than being adaptive to the environment, the textbooks of the time I was in graduate school said, well, these were genes that really existed previously. Now, we've just for the first time in uh, science, we have simply revealed that there were genes for these traits, which the, um, the plant and animal <clears throat> develop, developers seem to be producing. So it, it seems that there were these secret 
genes that explained everything. Uh, it really was uh, sort of a magic act or, or metaphysics. They, they made up the, the story as they went along to explain things that really could more easily be explained by the idea that the organism is highly adaptive. And uh, the, the gene idea allowed uh, people to, to work, um, create uh, changes in the DNA so that they could uh, now produce engineered organisms. After 100 years of denying that there really was any adaptation, they said, and now that we're in control of the genes, <clears throat> We'll make organisms the way we want them. Um, but they were claiming that it was purely in the genes and that they could control it, so there was no danger of things being unpredictable or going wrong. Hmm. And uh, um, people like Barbara McClintock, who uh, in the 1940s and 50s, uh, she was demonstrating that organisms can change their own genes to adapt to situations. So the, the, the idea of being determined by their genes was exactly turned on its head by, by her and other people who showed that the organisms change their own genes so in what, an organized way. So what do you think is going to happen with genetically modified organisms? Do you think, do you think they're going to start changing the genes uh, well, that have been uh, put in them? Uh, when you realize how ignorant the molecular biologists and molecular geneticists have been, uh, you have to worry mm -hmm. that uh, things could be much, much worse than anyone so far has suspected. Uh, uh, James Watson uh, the, of Watson and Crick, who, mm -hmm. who uh, invented the, the structure to explain the double helix of DNA, mm -hmm. Uh, he's now 88 years old, and uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he was quoted in the uh, New York Times as saying uh, if he was starting over to understand uh, cancer, he would not study molecular biology. He would study biochemistry. He said he never thought he would have to learn the Krebs cycle. He said, now, just a couple of months ago, I had decided it would be necessary. But uh, the, wow. the arrogance of these uh, geneticists meant that they simply didn't have to know anything at all right. about biology. The purely re reductionist uh, thinking. Yeah. Huh. So getting getting on to um, the uh, the kind of change in perception, I think you made an interesting point uh, when I read your news letter that science essentially was becoming a private matter, and that was in re in reference to um, the procuring of difficult substances to get like radioactive isotopes for doing research. Now, um, governments in this situation would be entirely responsible for distributing radioactive substances to companies, obviously would be under their control. Uh, they would largely be able to, um, I would think, predict 
the outcomes which they wanted to find uh, in, in terms of having complete control over this material. It's not like you can just get radioactive isotopes from anywhere and do your own research and find information contrary to what it is they might want to tell you about the uh, supposed safety, perhaps, of some of these things. But that was pretty interesting. And then the... Um, talking about the application of various uh, medical approaches being very closely controlled um, by a fairly uh, fairly large overseeing uh, industry, which we will have mentioned the uh, medicine industry uh, as being exactly that, an extremely lucrative, profitable, and to be uh, very much protected uh, from any assaults. And this is where you also made reference to, in the early, in the early stages um, of the formation of doctors and the industry, uh, the doctors themselves wanted government to protect them from other practice, pra- practitioners. Uh, and you mentioned the heroic I thought it was very funny, but it's very true. The uh, heroic medicine that was practiced by these early doctors included using uh, mercury, bleeding, uh, vomiting, diuresis, uh, enuresis, and all sorts of purgative um, uh, mechanisms by which some, some, if not quite a large proportion of patients, died. uh, And then, of course, turned to alternatives because the doctors were being so blatant about what they're doing and uh, overtly killing people that the you know the whether it was uh, I don't know the local folk medicine or midwives or other people that had various skills in different areas and were definitely used before that uh, this was then being seen as the uh, the uh, the alternative that they had to pursue because otherwise this heroic medicine was just going to kill more people than not so um, uh, recently anthropologists were able to uh identify the places where the Lewis and Clark expedition had camped by uh, finding so much mercury (laughs) in the soil. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right, so uh, just in terms of... um, the protectionist, I mean, we would almost call it a racket. I mean, I'm sure it is a racket. I think that's probably the best term for it, actually. Uh, this protectionist approach to medicine and how, um, a lot of the, a lot of the research is very hard, um, to either replicate because the products that they're being used are issued under very tightly controlled circumstances, uh, or whether in fact the uh, results of some of these outcomes are really not uh, laid out accurately, and that's why we find uh, postdoc or uh, PhD research being done to show the opposite is true for a lot of the things that we're being told by the uh, quote unquote authority on medicine um, that this is the way it is, and that, for example, as we've mentioned many times, and you've brought this out in the very early days, that you know sugar is essential for you it's not bad for you uh, the same goes for salt the same goes for saturated fat and all these lies that they would have us believe uh, when actually there is evidence which is done by very credible uh, scientists and uh, phd uh, researchers so the fact that the authority out there is a quote-unquote authority doesn't mean to say that you have to believe it and this uh, i I found it very funny i'd never heard the trust annoyer 
uh, quote before, so that made me that made me chuckle quite a bit because the opposite generally in questioning society is paranoia that they're doing something that's not good for us. I know here, especially on the west coast of California, um, you know we look up at the skies and we look at the chemtrails and we see them spreading out and we're just like that is not normal. Uh, you know we read about and hear about fluoride in the water and we're very skeptical what that pulled out of the water. There's no reason for it at all to be in there, and the research shows that it's very damaging. Um, there's many other instances where the supposed authority and the the government that uh, most people definitely shouldn't look at as being the uh, the, the final say in anything uh, has total control over this. So it's very it's always very good to be sceptical and not just uh, accept what they're saying as a truth, but really do your, re- your own research. And that's uh, that's why we love having you on the show, Doctor Pete, because you've done a lot of this research and you brought out so many things uh, that have illuminated a lot of. Uh, uh, seemingly obvious facts to people when they read the research. So you um, go ahead. There's there's one group that I've read uh, many of their papers that were published over a period of about fifty years, and uh, back in the fifties and sixties, Otto Warburg had uh, completely ignored the uh, gene mutation theory of cancer and was showing that it was. Um, definable and, and understandable in terms of a simple um, metabolic imbalance. And um, starting in the 1960s, the Pentagon started financing uh, people who worked on projects to um, debunk and, and disprove, supposedly, uh, or at least uh, defame uh, out of Barber. Yeah. And uh, one of these groups is still publishing, right? Uh, as recently as, as last year, I read some papers saying that uh, Otto Warburg was wrong because we, etc. Uh, and, and their reasoning isn't right. Uh, they're misinterpreting what Warburg Bar- said. But it's so important that the Pentagon has uh, consistently financed people to uh, to push a doctrine such as as. Um, disproving supposedly uh, ideas that would have invalidated the whole war on cancer. Right. And as if our tax dollars should be supporting the Pentagon to do such work. Now, uh, quote, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it the FBI that I heard this the other, the other week and I'm like, hmm, that sounds like actually pretty plausible. I remember watching a, a Mel Gibson movie a long time ago, uh, Conspiracy Theorist it was called. Now, wasn't and I heard also that the FBI were the were the organization that coined the term conspiracy theorist just to uh, give people the one word phrase that would uh, debunk any person who was coming out with some fairly uh, un- you know, very controversial and uh, uh, surprising news about something that was supposedly accepted as fact and that it was just regularly used as a uh, uh, a kind of method of invalidating anybody who had any sense of uh, a truth that was looking in the opposite direction. So the word conspiracy theorist on its own right was coined by a kind of government uh, agents to, to turn this on its head. And, uh, when they have hundreds of billions of dollars to spend on their conspiracy, it becomes so pervasive, you can hardly say it's a conspiracy. It's... it's an alternate reality that they're constructing. 
All right, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garbable, uh, 91.1 FM, uh, also on the web at uh, kmud.org. Yeah, if you're in the area, there's a 923 number, 923-3911. If you're outside the area, it's 1-800-KMUD-RAD, which is 1-800-568-3723. Uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show, uh, callers are very welcome to call in with any questions about this month's subject of exploring the alternatives. Uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete. Uh, with 40 years or thereabouts of uh, postdoc research uh, coming our way with lots of facts and figures about the relevance of uh, what we read and hear and we think is true, but he actually has uh, a very uh, a different viewpoint in which to see that. And Dr. Pete, um, I time and time again, even though uh, I've spoken to you quite a lot and we have had you on the radio show a lot, I still have to remind myself that your perspective is very much a biology-based perspective. And I think uh, to remember what you said earlier in the radio show, I think that's a point that a lot of people forget is that biology has really been superseded, hasn't it, and, and squashed, if you like, by the tax dollar corporate uh, model of genetics and uh, the war on cancer? Um, uh, yeah, the, um, the medical establishment has had its own uh, reasons for um, uh, following their theory of cancer, but it has been reinforced uh, by the, the government's uh, biological warfare perspective. Uh, so they've blended them together to... Uh, uh, say that everything is determined by the DNA, huh. and you don't have to learn anything about biology or about the uh, chemistry of life itself. Let, let me let get you to hold that thought a moment, because I think we have one or two callers who uh, have already been calling in. So uh, let's see if we can take this first call. Call away from, and what's your question? Caller, you're on the air? I can't hear the caller, but I'm not sure what's going on. So bear with me for a minute. Caller, you on the air? Nope. Uh, Ask the doctor if he could oh, talk about go. any um, alternatives for uh, emphysema, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as opposed, you know, something other than the um, pills <laughs> that okay. they give and the respirators that they give. Yeah. And um, I will take my answer on the air. Okay. Dr. Pete, did you hear that? Because I didn't catch uh, yes. the first part, but um, emphysema. For, um, I've, I've had a couple of very interesting experiences with people who had uh, apparent emphysema. That was the diagnosis. Uh, extremely inefficient lungs. Uh, one person was purple in the face, and uh, his memory was affected. He was getting so little oxygen to his brain. Uh, the other person was a woman in her 30s who had been that way for uh, about 15 years. And uh, in the woman's case, it started when she had multiple estrogen injections when she was about 20. And that got me reading about the uh, history of experimental emphysema. And they found that they could produce it, uh, reduce the... uh, ability of the lungs to absorb oxygen by 90% in just an hour after an injection of uh, an excess amount of estrogen. And um, the, in the case of the man, uh, I suspected that it was 
uh, a combination of, of uh, too much unsaturated fat in his diet, increasing his estrogen uh, actions and decreasing his thyroid function. So I gave him uh, some uh, progesterone and uh, pregnenolone and uh, I think a little thyroid. And in uh, two weeks, the next time I saw him, uh, it, that was in Toluca, uh, altitude well over 8,000 feet. And uh, his office was upstairs in a, a building without uh, an elevator. And two weeks after he was sitting puffing and uh, purple, and he took me around the city, uh, took me up to his office, and just zooming up the ramps, uh, 80, 82 or 3 years old at that time, and uh, fully functional lungs as quickly as two weeks. Wow. Uh, the, the young woman uh, tried different things, but um, she noticed that she felt better when uh, a doctor prescribed armor thyroid, and she kept uh, talking him into, into giving her bigger doses, got him up to five grains, and she was wow. feeling uh, pretty recovered, but she went to another doctor and got another five grains from him, and uh, with the third doctor, each prescribing five grains wow. as what they considered a maximum dose, she recovered completely over a period of, of two or three months. Wow. With 15 grains of thyroid a wow. day. Um, yeah, and, but if you don't activate the thyroxin in armor thyroid, which is three-quarters of the active material, you're only getting a fourth of it. So, in effect, she was only getting about four grains of activity. Right. So, so you're looking at emphysema in, this, in both of these cases, then, as really as an energy depletion and or uh, factors that are contributing to inflammation and calcium influx being pushed back by thyroid hormone? Um, yeah, there were animal studies um, 20, 30, 40 years ago in which progesterone um, resolved their emphysema. It, it, and um, pregnenolone and progesterone both uh, allow cells to handle water properly so that they don't swell up and uh, so that they retain normal elasticity. Right, got it. We do have another caller on here, so let's, let's take this next caller and uh, see where we're going. Caller, you're on the air. What's your question? Hi, I had a question. Um, what do you think of using the anti-adrenaline drug clonidine to reduce adrenaline at night? Um, I've read of some people's experience with using a 100-microgram dose, and it's working quite well. So, uh, yeah. We'll what, was start with that. Right? yeah what was the name of that? Quanid Quanidine. 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 G-U. Quanidine. Oh, colonidine. An anti-adrenaline drug. Uh, clonidine, maybe, C-L-N-O, C-L-O-M. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's a blood pressure-lowering drug, too. Um, uh, sometimes, yeah, a low thyroid person sometimes compensates by producing gigantic amounts of adrenaline just to keep running. Uh, it helps to uh, maintain their body temperature at normal and keeps their heart rate up, and uh, they can seem... Uh, even hyperthyroid uh, sometimes uh, when they have very little T3 production or very high 
reverse T3 blocking it. And uh, when these people have their daily uh, adrenaline measured in their, their urine, uh, some of them are making 30 or 40 times more than the normal amount just to compensate for hypothyroidism. And those people, uh, they often feel a, a great reduction of anxiety and and uh, tension, pressure, and so on. But uh, since the uh, adrenaline is compensating in many ways, keeping their blood sugar up, uh, it, it's important to uh, be very cautious when you uh, oppose the adrenaline because it can sometimes give you uh, asthma or, or low blood sugar uh, because of it, 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 it swings the other way. You're talking about it kind of crashes. Yeah. 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 Do you think that the uh, Do you think it could be used safely at a dose such as a hundred micrograms? Does that sound like a reasonable dose? Do you know? Um, I've never experimented with it myself. I don't know what the right dose would be. Okay. I've also read that it actually lowers cortisol as well. So with, do you think that would be in a direct fashion or indirectly as perhaps a result of it lowering the adrenaline? As adrenaline in chronic excess is also highly stressful in the organism, it could definitely keep the cortisol high. Um, yeah, the, the cortisol generally follows a, a period of excess adrenaline. So, so if you take your adrenaline down, uh, it, it might let you lower your your cortisol unless you uh, lower your glucose too much, and that can uh, increase your cortisol. Yeah, salt and sugar are great ways to lower adrenaline. I recommend that to people who are performing and they get anxious before they perform. Tell them, stir in a little salt in a glass of orange juice. It works great. Okay, well, thanks for your call. Okay, boy. thank you. Okay, so it's, let's see, it's 7.30 here. You're listening to Ask Your Ab Doctor, KMD. Garberville, 91.1 FM. The uh, call-in number for this uh, area here is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area or you're on the web, uh, 1-800-KMUD-RAD, which is 1-800-568-3723 for your calls. And Dr. Ray Pete is our guest. Um, okay, so Dr. Pete, um, I guess moving on, I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, about um, epigenetics then. So you've mentioned the uh, study of epigenetics, which is currently getting quite a lot of attention, as providing clues uh, to many different pathologies stemming from environmental origins uh, or ingested pollution, uh, both atmospheric and dietary. Now, we fully understand the uh, world we live in now is as far more toxic uh, than the world the Native American Indians, for example, lived in with cancers and diabetes almost unknown then, but which now are commonplace. Uh, it's important now uh, than ever to make sure you're eating organically raised food, uh, drinking organic milk and juices, that you mentioned orange juice a lot, as well as clean filtered water. And the same goes for the water you bathe in uh, with added fluoride causing known cancers. From a holistic perspective, uh, there exists a very real mind-body connection between your thoughts and your health that we've mentioned in previous shows and uh, the convincing benefits of meditation or stilling the mind uh, being healing what what do you see as the mechanisms by which this acts in terms of meditation because i know you have a biological perspective 
And I, you're telling me there's another caller there, eh? Oh, okay. Let's hold that thought for a second if you can retain for what I've asked you. But let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from uh, the Laytonville area. Okay, what's your question? I was wondering, I read an article recently, and uh, um, and it said it was about the duality of taste buds. Of taste buds? Yeah, okay. it was written by, uh, I, I, I think you pronounce it Rhino Sinus Dust Doctor. Rhino Rhinocyte? No. Rhino yeah, Rhinosinusitis. Uh, rhino Rhinosinusitis. Rhinosinusitis? Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. It's people who, like, are constantly sick and have, like, a cold or flu-like syndrome. Got it. Yeah, with running nose and... Yeah, and uh, they were claiming that the uh, bitter taste buds okay. um, are the body's first line of defense, and the cilia acts as, like, a filter for bacteria, and then in the nose it releases uh, nitric oxide mm. and does all this great stuff and, you know, tells the body that something that could hurt it's entering the system. Okay. And I was wondering if you guys thought that maybe, like, smoking or being in a, you know, like the fires we've had recently mm-hmm. could coat these uh, cilia or the taste buds and give you the uh, symptoms kind of like rhinosinusitis. Okay, well, I've got my thoughts, but Dr. Pete, what's your thought on uh, um, whether or not the uh, atmospheric pollution from forest fires that the uh, callers mentioned uh, might uh, contribute to this situation, rhinosinusitis? And also smoking, too. And smoking, yeah. Um, Yeah, all of these things um, are not only uh, contacting the membranes locally in your nose and mouth, but when you breathe them, you swallow them uh, because they dissolve in the saliva. And uh, in the last few years, uh, people have been observing uh, the same sort of taste buds existing in the intestine so that your intestine can uh, detect uh, the chemistry of what's present, even though you aren't consciously maybe tasting it, uh, but the nerves are still uh, doing their chemical analysis. And uh, so the uh, one of the things that uh, uh, enterologists have been noticing for a hundred years is that the inflammation of the nose and throat uh, very often starts in the intestine. Uh, if you have a, a chemical irritant or a stretching uh, from gas or constipation or a viral or bacterial infection, uh, there, there can be no uh, toxin or, or germ present in your nose, but the nose will uh, get inflamed and start running. And, and then uh, later, after the inflammation is underway, then it can pick up germs. But um, there's a very close integra- integration between the, uh, the respiratory system and the intestine. Uh, so things that you've eaten will affect uh, the rhinitis. Uh, and that's something that, that people often neglect. They'll take uh, vitamin pills uh, uh, thinking that it'll help their immunity or their allergies. But uh, I've seen uh, dozens of people who recovered from their chronic runny nose when they stopped taking their, their vitamin and mineral supplements. Mm. Um, is there anything you would recommend to take? 
Um, there is food to eat. Um, you know, uh, avoiding irritating foods, uh, green salads, uncooked uh, vegetables, uh, and uh, uh, some many seeds and nuts are always irritating, and and some people uh, can have a runny nose from just having a salad once a week. Sets up a, a chronic irritation in their intestine. All right. Uh, thank you very much. That was that was uh, very very informative. Thank yeah, you. You're very welcome. Don't forget that uh, people listening, you can always listen to this podcast on the web at uh, www.kmud.org. Go to the audio archives and just select Friday Night Live, and it's the third Friday of every month. Okay, I think we have two or three callers, so let's get going with these next call. Next call, away from and what's your question? Hi, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, hey, welcome to the show. What's your question? Dr. Pete, I was on a low-carb diet for two years and ate a lot of artificial sweetener during that time. I have two questions. Uh, the first one is, what negative effects have artificial sweeteners had on my body? And the second one is, how can I undo or is it even possible to undo those negative effects? Um, the um, artificial sweeteners sometimes... Uh, activate insulin and cause weight gain uh, just by uh, acting on your hormones, uh, even without increasing your your food intake. Uh, but they have different toxicities. Uh, the um, Some of them are excitotoxins uh, if, if you eat large quantities of them. But uh, usually if you just stop using them and... Uh, eat a, a proper uh, non-irritating uh, diet, uh, things will correct themselves just nutritionally. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you very much. You, you had a second question? Um, that that the, He answered it. Oh, okay. So All right. It was too, I thought it was too. Okay, fine. Thank you for your call. Well, thanks for your call. Okay. Uh, we have another caller on there, so let's take this next caller. Call away from, and what's your question? I'm from Yucaipa, Southern California. Okay. What's your question? <clears throat> I wanted to find out if Dr. Pete knows anything about alternatives for seizure medication. Hmm. Okay. I'm sure. In fact, I know. <laughs> Dr. Pete, uh, seizure ma- medication or, in fact, your rational approach to treating uh, epilepsy or other seizures? Uh, since we were just talking about the intestine, mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, something that, should always be taken into account. Um, make sure that you're not uh, disturbing your system by eating uh, green smoothies <coughs> or <clears throat> or too many nuts and uh, raw foods and such, uh, because uh, irritation in the digestive system will uh, increase uh, the things that promote seizures or lower the threshold for them. And um, the the brain is uh, one of our biggest uh, steroid-forming organs, uh, produces considerable amounts of uh, DHEA, progesterone, pregnenolone, and uh, metabolites of those. And uh, those have a quieting effect. And, and when the brain is under stress, those increase to uh, compensate for the excitatory effects. And uh, uh, some uh, um, 
there are some foods that specifically uh, excite and damage the nerves and tend to, to um, predispose you to to seizures. Um, amino acids, for example, including uh, glutamic acid, aspartic acid, uh, cysteine, and tryptophan are uh, the worst amino acids for uh, lowering the threshold. Um, uh, supplements of progesterone have been used um, to uh, reduce uh, the sensitivity to um, uh, various factors. Um, the, the threshold uh, to, to excitation and seizure increases in proportion to the uh, amount of, of um, uh, pregnenolone, progesterone, and uh, several of the metabolites of these. Yeah, okay. I, I had a client that had epilepsy, and she was able to wean herself off all of her medication and resume driving and live, lives a very normal life now, and she sticks to a very strict diet that uh, is doesn't have any kind of food that the bacteria can live on in her intestine. She takes pregnenolone and progesterone, and she has a um, thyroid prescription, and she also takes anti-adrenaline herbs like valerian and skullcap and passionflower. And she had grand, grand mal seizures, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter, she's uh, 35. She's had them since she was five. Mm-hmm. And um, we tried the, the Progest-E. She was taking about one to two bottles every three days, but she was able to reduce her medication by 75%. But she just couldn't keep that up because... You know, you can't keep taking that much. Uh, Dr. Pete, so, what, do you, what do you think about the dose of progesterone the uh, callers talked about? Well, uh, the, the lady that I um, worked with, she was taking an eighth of a teaspoon of progesterone three times a day. Um, has she had her um, thyroid hormones, including reverse T3, measured? No. Um, those can... When someone uh, is resistant to progesterone and needs extremely large amounts of it to uh, feel right, uh, it's usually because their liver is uh, uh, letting uh, estrogen and uh, the excitatory things accumulate. Uh, and it, so it ha- takes a super normal amount of progesterone to, to uh, steady things. And if you eat... Um, the things that your liver needs, um, not not too much of, of some proteins which contain the excitatory cysteine and so on, but, for example, gelatin or glycine as an additive, uh, the um, uh, shifting the balance away from the excitatory proteins uh, towards more uh, sugar, uh, orange juice, for example, and... Uh, making sure that your thyroid is uh, letting your liver uh, use the proteins efficiently to store sugar and eliminate uh, the excitatory uh, estrogen and other things. Yeah, I think the... Uh, I, think I, I had another question. Go ahead, yeah. Um, my hands, within the last six months, my hands have started to shake, and whenever I write with a pen, I have jerk moments, you know, jerky movements. Mm-hmm. I'm not smooth anymore. When I just relax my hand, it doesn't shake. But how I, how quickly or slowly did it come on? It's it's uh, 
gradual. Over what, over what period of time? Six months ago. Oh, six months ago. Okay, and um, so Dr. P, uh, in terms of uh, handwriting, changes in handwriting, is it, uh, well, actually, let me ask you first this. Is it, do you have a fine tremor or, or a coarse tremor? Do you notice if you put your hands out in front of it, you whether you visibly see any shaking or your hands by your side? Yeah, it's it's a very fine tremor. Very fine, so okay. And uh, had you had you noticed this tremor before you noticed your handwriting change, or was your handwriting the uh, clue? I was holding a book in my hand, and I, I noticed it that way. Yeah, okay. Um, Dr. P, in terms of uh, excitation or muscular uh, excitation, contraction, and tremors, um, what what uh, what do you think about when you think about that physiologically? Um, vitamins and um, minerals are the first things I think of. Uh, uh, I've known people who who had uh, what they thought was Parkinson's disease, and all they needed was, uh, in one case, vitamin B12 did it immediately. Uh, other people, uh, magnesium supplements uh, have a, a sudden steadying effect, anti-tremor. Sometimes uh, more calcium and vitamin D will do it. Now, all, uh, all of these are uh, antagonizing the excitotoxicity uh, and that effect. Yeah. They're, ne- they're ne- anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Yeah. And, and pregnenolone is always protective. Uh, uh, whenever you're under stress, uh, you tend to use your your um, steadying, quieting steroids faster. Right. And sometimes uh, just a supplement of pregnenolone can quiet things. Nicola, did you, uh, did you take most of that down? Yeah, I'm going to actually listen to the broadcast afterwards, but yeah, I have one other question. Okay. Alpha lipoic acid, my daughter wanted me to ask about that. Right. What? Dr. P, what do you think of the sulfur-containing lipoic acid? Um, it, um, I think it's one of the safer things, experimentally at least. Okay. Uh, there are some... You know what it does? Uh, in in small amounts, I think it, it's safe to to uh, experiment with it. And, and what would it be used for, though? Oh, um, uh, it um, is um, supposed to uh, keep your um, glucose metabolism uh, efficient. Uh, biotin and lipoic acid and uh, coenzyme Q10 and various B vitamins work together. I'm sure there's uh, some component of energy production in it too because I noticed that uh, in fitness fitness and bodybuilding that seems to be uh, one of the uh, one of the many components that they advocate for um, you know uh, a supplement stack if you want to call it that. I have one other question if you don't mind. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all but we do have two more callers after you so go well, ahead. Real quick yeah. um Dr. Pete, you said that when you have higher T3, it can lower T4. Um, if, if you, um, well, if you're under stress, uh, your uh, reverse T3 goes up under the influence of cortisol. Uh, and if you lower cortisol, your reverse T3 just naturally goes down. Uh, but ev- everything that helps to lower cortisol uh, will help to uh, uh, free up the normal T3 production without reverse T3. And uh, things that 
can help include sugar and aspirin and uh, B vitamins and minerals. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for your calls. Okay, so we have two more callers. So let's take this next caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? I'm from Eureka, and my question is, can cannabis assist with epilepsy, or do you know anyone has, who has used cannabis with epilepsy, and what's your overall view on cannabis? Well, I would automatically be a little bit skeptical about cannabis for epilepsy due to its estrogenic compounds. But I'll let Dr. Pete um, comment more on that. Um, uh, yeah, some people uh, think it, it uh, soothes the symptoms. But, uh, again, I think it's good to be cautious, especially if it's, if it's used in any uh, crude form that might have other plant components in it that could be irritating Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Uh, let's take, we've got two more here still, so let's uh, take the next caller. Caller, your question, and where are you from? Um, my name's Robin, I'm from Trinidad. And um, I'm interested, I, I like stevia a lot, as it's the only sweetener I'm using right now. And I've heard a little bit about stevia, just like some of the other um, more artificial sweeteners. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it has the same issue. Dr. Pete, what do you think of stevia uh, as opposed to some of the other artificial sweeteners in terms of its uh, safety or its uh, allergenicity? Oh, um, I've um, never um, heard of serious allergic reactions to it. It seems to be fairly harmless. Uh, And, Caller, what was the main reason that you were using a a sweetener like stevia rather than sugar? Um, I have stevia. Yeah, um, so I'm not wanting to eat it, but maybe you think Stevia is an issue with Candida. <laughs> oh, she said she has Candida. Oh, oh well, um, uh, Candida uh, thrives when you're uh, lacking some of the membrane surface antibodies, IgA, and those depend on uh, many things, but especially thyroid and progesterone. So. If, if you're, you're low thyroid, uh, you will both have uh, a problem regulating your blood glucose and your immune system will uh, tend to favor uh, things like candida overgrowth, but other bacteria too can uh, uh, produce similar symptoms. And uh, so uh, the, um, if you starve candida thoroughly, by cutting off all of its sugar supply, it needs glucose, and so it can uh, put out filaments and actually become invasive when you're not feeding it sugar. And if you do feed, if you do have candida in your intestine and you keep it uh, well-fed on glucose, it's not going to invade and become deadly. But the worst it does then is to um, maybe make too, too much ethyl alcohol. Uh, but it, it can be uh, eradicated pretty easily just with a little, very small amount of flowers of sulfur, just uh, 200 milligrams or so, two or three days in a row, will uh, typically uh, clean up the intestine for, from uh, candida and, and other uh, harmful uh, fungus and bacteria. 
And that's available at pharmacies over the counter, also called sublimed sulfur. Uh, it's called what sulfur? Um, either flowers of sulfur, that's easier mm-hmm. to remember, or sublimed okay. sulfur. And sometimes okay. precipitated sulfur. Precipitated. It, it, it doesn't work if it's uh, ground from crystals. So you're saying don't do a candida diet? Cause I'm doing one with sun carbs in it, like basically I'm having sweet potatoes. Coconut flour just to not get ketosis, but are you, you're saying don't I, even I bother think, with I, that? Yeah, I think, I, think, I think the main rationale for the approach to treat, treating your candida is that if you actually starve yourself of glucose you're probably going to put yourself at a disadvantage because you will by necessity of starving candida from glucose you'll cause it to invade tissues more thoroughly to seek out sources of carbohydrate or other glucose stores uh, and actually you really want to just keep a, a, a normal diet don't avoid and restrict sugar intake but then if you use something as simple as flowers of sulfur and I think Dr. Pete said 200 milligrams a day for two to three days uh, works pretty effectively Which for that. Which is just like a pinch, a large yeah. pinch. Yeah. And, and things <clears throat> such as um, carrot salad, uh, shredded carrots with a little olive oil and vinegar and salt. Uh, the, the oil uh, suppresses uh, candida uh, multiplication, and the carrot has antifungal substances naturally because it grows in the ground and has mm. to uh, avoid being that resists digestion <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i'm eating a lot of carrots <laughs> i'm eating all of those things but did you say vinegar too though? well yeah and it has to be raw carrot right otherwise it will be a food source for bacteria okay we do have another caller so thanks for your call let's take this next caller Thank you. caller you're on the air where are you from honey you how do you do? Okay, what's your call, caller? What's your question? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'd like to know what uh, is a safe hormone for a person that's transitioning uh, to a um, um, trans female. Hmm. Well, um, progesterone is uh, feminizing. If, if it's in large amounts, it antagonizes the effects of uh, testosterone. In, in France, uh, there were studies 40 years ago in which women with whiskers, mustache and sideburns, and uh, a chest hair uh, applied progesterone topically. And in two or three months, I think it was, they feminized their facial hair. And uh, when a man takes just a moderate amount of progesterone orally, it stops the whisker growing or slows it greatly. Uh, and uh, those French studies showed that it would uh, reverse the differentiated masculine-type uh, bristly hair. And uh, it's safe uh, for men or women, uh, unlike the, the estrogen that uh, they use to uh, produce breasts. Uh, there you go, say um, progesterone. What would be the dose? Um, it's um, an individual matter. Uh, the, the quality of your uh, thyroid function and your diet and liver and so on uh, affect your response to it. It's important to make sure that your thyroid is good. Uh, 
the uh, a low thyroid person uh, can uh, increase the risk of cancer if they uh, use anything estrogenic. So what tests should be done? What tests? Yeah, to determine the dosage. Oh, oh um, well, the, um, if you're uh, wanting to reverse hair growth, you can use it topically and uh, just watch for the effects. Uh-huh. And systemically? Oh, it, it's safe um, at several milligrams per day. I, I've experimented with it and uh, saw that I didn't have to shave for a day if I took uh, around 10 milligrams. All right, well, listen, let's uh, keep it there. Let's uh, call that question answered. It is uh, just coming up to three minutes to the top of the hour. Um, we're done at 8 o'clock, so thank you, callers, that have listened in. Uh, like I said earlier on, anybody uh, caught part of the show or wants to listen to it again, uh, KMUD has an audio archive that allows you just to go to the website www.kmud.org um, and then go to uh, Audio Archives uh, Friday Night Live and select the calendar third Friday of the month uh, from the list, and those are the shows that are recorded from 7 to 8 p.m. Thank you so much for doc- uh, your time, Dr. Pete. Let me let people uh, know how to get a hold of you and find out more about you. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Good night. Good night. Okay, so for those folks who, uh, who've just uh, listened to Dr. Pete for the first time or those people that follow him closely, I know he's got a pretty big fan club going and a big old Facebook page that he's even completely unaware of. Um, but if uh, people want to go to his website, it's www.com raypeat.com r-a-y-p-e-a-t uh, there's lots of fully referenced articles uh, available on his website and uh, he's extremely well versed in his subject so I encourage you to take full note of what he says and read uh, what he has he's not selling anything and he's uh, not seeking to gain political control or uh, anything like that so, so and, uh, he is aware of his, we have told him about these fan club oh, pages that well, people aware, put he, up about he's it never, he's but never looked at it he's not <laughs> Associated it's with not at all. It's not at all uh, social media uh, relevant. Anyway, so uh, thanks to those people that called in tonight. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to receive calls, and I know Dr. Pete uh, gets uh, pretty stimulated by people calling about different subjects, even if it's off topic. Um, so until the third Friday of next month, I uh, wish you good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. K Mud comes from listeners like you and from the end of the Lost Coast with Fireplace, Spa, and Sauna Suites. The outdoor hot tub is a great place to relax in any weather. Fish, Tank, Espresso, and Delgado Pizza and Bakery offer daily treats, including a fine selection of beer and wine. Home of the Yellow Submarine, all that's needed is love and reservation. Available at inofthelostcoast.com or by calling 986-7521. Also support for KMUD comes from SolarWinds Northern Lights, a licensed, insured, bonded contractor specializing in design, installation, maintenance, and troubleshooting of battery-based and grid-tied solar electric systems. Also complete electrical services for homes, homesteads, and agriculture. More information from Chris 